0: Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham. We
1: do welcome you to this week's podcast. It's always a privilege to study the Word of God together. My friend Dove Lipman, how is the family doing today?
2: Thank God. Everyone's doing well. We got the school year starting here in Israel and summertime uh, winding down and then we shift gears right into the holiday season. So it's a hopping time over here.
1: Yes, we'll be talking about the holidays as we get further along in our weekly podcast. We do get the chance to study the Word of God together, the weekly Torah portion, the book of Deuteronomy today. 26 27 28 and 29 in the passage is called Ki tavo which means when you enter it comes from deuteronomy 26 and verse 1 and rabbi as we get into the passage we'll of course go through them sort of verse by verse in a moment but give us a, a header here what are we headed into as we start this passage what is the focus that moses is writing about
2: So it's very clear, uh, and we've been discussing this for quite a while, that Moses had some very real concerns about what's going to happen when the people enter Israel, and he's giving them all kinds of things to do uh, that are precautions for that, things that are are built to keep them straight when it comes to their spirituality and their dedication to God. So that's setting the tone, uh, certainly for this week's portion, and even those words, and it will be when you will come to the land. And and Moses, I, I think almost every time he mentions the land of Israel, he says the land which God has given to you as an inheritance. He just emphasizes that over and over again to the people. You have to realize how special it is. And now they have to heed whatever he's commanding them to make sure they can hold on to that land.
1: Do you find it significant both in Hebrew and in English in chapter 26, verse 1, It does not say if you enter the land. It says when, like it's a done deal.
2: Very significant. It's very significant. And I think that's part of his message to the people as well because they've already uh, experienced as a nation the sin of the spies and things falling apart. And, And he's reinforcing to them the idea that it is going to happen. It's not a question of if, and we're on our way towards accomplishing that now, even though Moses himself is not going to go in, but he's speaking to the people
1: who will. And the first thing that the people are to do once they receive the inheritance of the land is chapter 26, verse 2, take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name, go to the priest who is in office at that time and say, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land, which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand, set it down before the altar of the Lord, and you shall say this, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, But there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us, imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place. He has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. You and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. And so, Rabbi, I want you to comment on this the statement. But first of all, let's discuss what do you do at the beginning of your receiving of a blessing? You give back to the Lord.
2: Absolutely. And this is uh, such an important piece because, remember, the people are transitioning from their life in the desert where God was providing them with everything, and now all of a sudden they're coming into their own land where they do the farming, they do all the agricultural work, and the crops will come from the ground as a result of their hard labor. And there was a real fear that this would lead the people astray they would believe in the power of their own strength and their own talents their own skills their own labor and not recognize that it's coming from god and not only not recognize that it's coming from god but that would pull them away from god uh, because as a person becomes more consumed with himself as he believes more in the power of the human race uh, and be- focuses life on what humans are doing that pulls us away from god so immediately there's this mitzvah which we call bikurim bikurim is the first fruits Literally, as the first fruits are budding and you see them coming, the Talmud goes into greater detail. They would put a string around that crop, and in the moment it grows uh, to its fullest extent, you take it to Jerusalem, and there's a parade, this beautiful parade. with uh, They adorn these baskets. They adorn the animals that they, that they traveled with, and they make their way to Jerusalem, and they proclaim and they make that statement, which is exactly, you know, they, after they give it to the, uh, to the priest and they put it down in front of the altar, uh, they say very specifically, you know, I know that this comes uh, from God uh, and I recognize that he's the one uh, who has blessed me with the land. He's the one who has blessed me with the crops. And one of the greatest Talmudic uh, commentaries in the Bible, I'm sorry, biblical commentaries, Rashi says, I am not a ingrate. I'm a person who recognizes the good that has been done to me.
1: And let's remind ourselves that a person of faith ought to be a person of gratitude. And we also know that every gift we have comes as a blessing from the Lord. We know that the Lord gives, and He gives because He loves. The most famous verse probably in the New Testament, "'For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son.'" That's John chapter 3, verse 16. So when you love, you give. And so this is a showing love to God by giving back to God, and it all comes back to gratitude.
2: Absolutely. And the truth is, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the, the Jewish people, where does the name Jew come from? It comes from Judah, because uh, most of us are descendants of the tribe of Judah. Uh, after the 10 tribes were exiled first. And there were just two tribes left, Judah, the primary one, and Benjamin. And Judah, we were in the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel. And Judah was named Judah because his mother Leah said, "Hapam oda I'm giving thanks to God for this child. So the name Judah comes from Todah. People who have come to Israel know that word or if you've studied Hebrew. Toda means thank you. Our entire being, it's supposed to be a being of thanks as we as a people give back exactly like you just said a Pastor. We give back to God for all the good that he's done to us. And, and a, a, a primary motivation, inspiration element of our spiritual service is giving back because of the blessings which God has given to us.
1: A thankful person is a person of faith because they understand it didn't originate with me. We talk about if you give your money to the church or to the synagogue or to missions work or missionary work or or charity work. And you say, well, I made this money because I sell shoes or I sell cars or I invent computers or whatever I do. That's the money that I made and I own it and I can give it away. And we always remind each other who gave you the brain, who gave you the health, who gave you the job, who gave you the opportunity. When I give, it's an act of recognition that it's really not mine in the first place.
2: Absolutely. And that's the key point that I think Moses is pointing out over here. You look at all the words they say. Everyone at home, really, I think at some point you should sit back and just read the beginning of chapter 26 to yourself and just see this process, see the procedure, see the words that you dictate as you go through a little bit of the Jewish history and how God answered our prayers and brought us to this place. And and then that that ultimate verse, I think, in verse 10 And now I brought the first fruits that you, God, have given me. I place it down before you, God, and I prostrated myself before you, God. And immediately uh, following that, and you rejoice. You rejoice with all the good that God has given to you.
1: As we continue in Deuteronomy chapter 26, we come to three verses in a row here, 13, 14, and 15. And one writer, Rabbi, says you have a positive statement in verse 13 a negative statement in verse 14, and a prayer for blessing in verse 15. So 13 says, You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house. I have given it to the Levite and the alien, the orphan and the widow, according to all the commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed or forgotten any of your commandments. Then here's an interesting verse that that I need your explanation on. Verse 14, I have not eaten of it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. And then the prayer for blessing is verse 15, speaking to God, O Lord, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as you have sworn to our fathers." So comment on this little section of three verses.
2: So this is something which we call the confession of the tithing, where the person says, I've performed all the tithes. There are lots of different tithes that have to be given. Some are to the poor people, some are to the Levites, some are to 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 just bring to the temple. Every year had its own rules, and you're saying, I've done that all. And because we're talking about food, which has a certain level of holiness to it, there were rules as to when and where you could eat it. When we do good, this is a a beautiful uh, time to think about this as we approach Rosh Hashanah, the first of the year and the Day of Judgment in the Jewish faith. There are times that we can be doing the right thing, but it's still imperfect. We haven't followed all the rules. We've cut corners. We've done this or... A person said, this is holy, I want to have it whenever I can have it. But there are rules. When a person's impure, you can't have it. When a person's in mourning, you're not allowed to have it. And the person comes out and actually uh, confesses in a positive way and says, I can honestly say I've done this to perfection. I've followed all of the rules. I have not tried to cut any corners. And based on that the person then in verse 15 can ask God to come and shower down his blessings. Just doing the act without the right intent or without following all the rules is not enough. It's the following all the rules, knowing that God's the one who determines how this all works, and also, of course, making sure that you have the right intent when you're doing this.
1: The way we describe it in our church, Rabbi, you've heard me use the phrase a lot, blessing follows obedience. But what we also say is we don't like it that way. We want to be blessed on credit. Bless me now, and trust me, Lord, that I'll obey you later on, when we know, if we're honest, it never works that way.
2: exactly right. That's exactly right, and uh, this is, a, as we've seen, a continuous theme uh, that Moses has repeated throughout his last Old Testament in Deuteronomy.
1: And the end of chapter 26, the last four verses is also a very important section, two relating to the responsibility of the people, that's 16 and 17, 2 related to the responsibility of the Lord in response. That's 18 and 19. 16 says, This day the Lord your God commands you, people, believers, godly ones, to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today the Lord to be your God, that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and listen to his voice. Shema Yisrael. And the Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession as he promised you, and that you should keep all his commandments, and he shall set you high above all nations which he has made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you shall be a consecrated people, a holy people, Kodesh, I assume is the word here, Rabbi, a holy people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. Yeah,
2: these are, again, you just see Moses talking about the opportunity they have, the opportunity they have to be this special nation, but it's not something which happens just by itself. It happens as a result of our actions. One is dependent on the other. If you do all of these things which God has commanded, and I want to emphasize again in verse 16, you do them with all your heart, with all your soul. You put everything into it. It's not just habitual it's not just okay this is what i've been told to do so i'll do it but it's every part of your being then then you'll have this status of being god's nation uh, to the world and bring the message of spirituality uh, to the world so you know being the the uh, light unto the nations it's not just uh, enough to sort of coast by but it requires tremendous dedication and tremendous passion and then you can fulfill that mission
1: This moves us into Deuteronomy 27, and one writer tells me, Rabbi, that this is the first time since chapter 5 when it's mentioned Moses' name in the third person. So chapter 5, verse 1 says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, and now here we are in chapter 27, verse 1, Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, so the whole section between 5 and 26 has been the words of the Sermon of Moses. What's the relevance of reintroducing him as the speaker in the third person here? A lot of discussion about this
2: because who, who, where is this coming from, right? Until now, the entire book has been one long speech from Moses that went, took place over the course of, according to Archish, over about uh, a little over a month. And, and where does this come from in terms of uh, the breakup? I, I believe... That because we're shifting gears now a little bit to what we call the section of the uh, blessings and the curses, and there's going to be these uh, horrifying but also very special things that are said, uh, they are introduced by reinforcing, don't think that somehow some guy made this up, but understand that this is Moses who is speaking. This is God's prophet. We're going to have it mentioned again in verse 11. It's sort of reorienting ourselves. Remember, this is not just some book that you're reading. You're about to read some heavy, heavy things about what's going to happen and prepping us, I think, uh, by introducing it as the words of Moses. It's almost like refocusing our attention on where it's coming from to make sure that we truly take it to heart.
1: And verse 1 says, Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it's not just one guy. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses the teacher, is the primary elder, if you will, but he wasn't alone in this. And not only that, that also sets up
2: the idea of of the transmission from one generation to the next. Remember, Moses is not going to be with us forever. So this sets up the chain of command, so to speak, that Moses gives it over to the elders. And even after Moses is gone, you still have the elders who continue uh, with that message.
1: And the instruction in the beginning of 27, verse 2, is when you cross the Jordan to get some stones and cover them with plaster or lime and write on them the words of the law. And when you cross over in order that you may enter the land, which the land you're the Lord your God gives you a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers promised you Verse four. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan, set up on Mount Ebal, these stones, as I am commanding you today, coat them with lime, build an altar there to the Lord, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool, which I have a question about. You shall build the altar of the Lord your God out of uncut stones and offer it as a burnt offering to the Lord. You shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God and you shall write on the stones all the words of the law very distinctly. So before we get into the technology of it, the premise is, listen to what I'm saying to you and write it down so that you can keep referring to it. Is this the ancient equivalent of all of us carrying our own copy of the Bible around?
2: There, there is that element for sure. And we're going to have, actually, later on, an actual command for each person to write their own Torah, which today certainly can translate into having your own Bibles, having your own holy books around. But here, there was an a, a, a idea that there's going to be a constant reminder to the people, this massive monument. If you would, uh, not to make the comparison, but you enter the United States, you pass the Statue of Liberty. It reminds you of what the United States is about. Here, you're going to enter into Israel, the Jordan River, you're going to have this massive monument, which will have the words of the Torah on it, to remind you what Israel is all about. That's a very powerful idea, that that's how we establish ourselves, that's our declaration in terms of who we are, it's the Bible itself, that's what the land of Israel is supposed to be based on.
1: So this was a one-time thing that would be stationary, not something they would move along with them? That's correct. Okay, now the technology question I have is verse 5 says, do not wield an iron tool, and verse 6 says, uncut stones. And I've read there's more a practical reason and a spiritual reason. The practical reason for uncut stones is other nations around the Jewish people in the land of Canaan had iron by this time, while the Israelites did not. So technologically speaking, do it this way, uncut, because therefore... You're using only what you have. And the spiritual reason is, therefore, you don't have to depend on other nations and be tempted into their false pagan worship. So that certainly
2: would, you know, we we see over and over again this desire to separate us from the nations of the world that, um, you know, that there shouldn't be any kind of overlap. We had commands about not having a tree next to the altar because they used to have a tree next to their pagan altars. So it definitely relates to that. But it's also that the metal is viewed as something which ultimately is used to make a weapon. And the idea is that the altar, which ultimately should be a source of life for the people, uh, we don't use those materials which uh, are used in in weaponry uh, ultimately to hurt people or kill people, comes from that as well.
1: Moving along in chapter 27, verse 9 says, Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And so the question is, they didn't just become the people of God this day. They have been that since the covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So is this sort of a reminder, or what's the significance of saying, today you became the people of God?
2: You're going to see throughout Deuteronomy, Moses uses that terminology of today over and over again. It's quite, it's quite startling, actually. And the idea is we're supposed to view it every single day. We're supposed to view it as if we've been given the Bible that day. We've been named as His nation that day. There's supposed to be a freshness and a newness uh, to it. Uh, every day when you wake up, you start afresh, you start anew. Imagine God making his covenant with you that day. This is a, a, a constant refrain that we see in terms of how we're supposed to look at our relationship with God and our relationship with the, at, at, with the world as a Jew, as a person of God, to recognize that each day is a new opportunity and to almost have the excitement and the freshness and the newness as if it actually started today. And Moses uses that terminology over and over again.
1: So we'll do a little Hebrew here. Is this connected to modei ani kol Each morning I will give thanks.
2: Absolutely. Uh, it's connected to that. Uh, we do give uh, every single day we wake up and we give that thanks. And uh, there are a few references in our prayers to that concept as well. It's absolutely connected to that for sure.
1: And what were the people supposed to do when they get in the land? Deuteronomy 27, starting in verse 11. This is the charge to the people. Moses says, When you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin. And for the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali, and the Levites shall answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, and then you go through all this list of cursings. So, first of all, Mount Gerizim, uh, Harbraha, right? The Mount of Blessing. And then you've got Mount Ebal. Why are six tribes given the honor of being on Harbraha, the Mount of Blessing, versus six on the Mount of Cursing?
2: There's a lot of discussion in the commentaries about this. And the answer, the best answer, I'll say it that way, that I've ever heard uh, is that the ones that are on the side of the blessing are the children of Rachel and Leah, who are the primary wives, so to speak, of Jacob. The other ones are uh, the four, first of all, uh, for the curse side of God, Asher, Dan, and Naphtali are from the children of the maids... Bilhah and Zilpah, who came along. That's only four, so the youngest of Leah's children is added there, and then also Reuben is added there. If you remember earlier on, Reuben had an unfortunate incident where uh, he sins and does something quite improper, and this is part of his atonement as a tribe, is being on the mountain of the curses. So that's sort of where the development comes from. Uh, not a simple idea for our ear to hear uh, in terms of you know children who are given priority, and children who are given secondary status, so to speak. And, and, you know, What does that mean in terms of the role they play in history? What does that mean in terms of favoritism? Uh, it's not so simple to our ear, but we do have this idea of hierarchy. It's not something which is foreign uh, to us in our faith and in the idea of spiritual service, that people have different roles that they play, and this plays out here as well.
1: I wanted you to talk about all the curses in the list and sort of the totality of the message here but i do want to make one point and that's deuteronomy 27 verse 15 it talks about making an idol but the phrase here is and the person sets it up in secret in other words you might think nobody knows the sin of your life the disobedience of your life but god knows
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that, uh, the terminology of an abomination certainly can be used for that specifically. Uh, We have in our tradition a lot of discussion about what's worse, a person who sins in secret or a person who sins in, in public. And the secret is actually viewed as worse because it shows that you're afraid of man but not afraid of God. A person who sits in public, okay, they have a strong desire, it's overcome them, they're not thinking straight, uh, you know, you're doing it in front of other people. Someone who does it in private is aware of what they're doing. They're hiding it from other people and still not afraid of God. And therefore, that's the highest level of abomination that there could be.
1: And then go through just briefly the cursings here and sort of the categories or areas of life that they apply to. So it's difficult,
2: uh, you know, we certainly touch on immorality in the sexual realm. We certainly talk about uh, mistreating other people who are in need. Uh, we certainly talk about uh, corruption, and we call it not acting properly towards other people. Those are sort of the three uh, main categories that you'll see. You, know, you start with idolatry, you have the immorality, you have the mistreatment of those in need, and you have the uh, lack of proper dealings one to the other, and certainly the lack of honesty.
1: This all has these curses, and God promises judgment for this sin. And every time at the end of the verses, it says, the people shall say, Amen. And we did a whole teaching series, Rabbi, at our church that we titled, Let It Be, which is one of the English translations of the word, Amen. It's an agreement. It's like signing the document, saying you agree to it. So the Lord makes these curses for those who will disobey and then you sign the document saying i fully acknowledge i'm informed i know what will happen if i sin
2: yeah that idea of the amen that idea of the confirmation is a big part of our faith when people make a blessing uh you respond by saying uh amen or amen and that amen is considered to be as powerful as the person who made the blessing himself uh it's that affirmation and there's actually some who say it's even better uh, that you come along and you and you give that uh, affirmation to it. And here, this is there exactly as you said it passed. They're signing the document, as it were, and they're saying we are fully aware and we fully accept it. And there's an important moment of covenant that's happening between God and the people of Israel.
1: We continue to walk through this week's Torah portion titled Ki Tavo. We have now made it to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And it says, It shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God... Being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, and you will obey the Lord your God. Blessed you shall be in the city. Blessed you shall be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beast, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. And then verse six, blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall be you when you go out. This is really talking about the totality of a life centered on God.
2: Exactly right. It's 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 from beginning to the end. When you've come in, when you've come out, it touches on all the different places that you go. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as I'm spiritual at church, I'm spiritual at synagogue, but not in other places. There's no such thing as I'm spiritual maybe when I'm younger, then I'll go through my rebellion, then I'll come back and have gold. Is that it be all the way through every situation that we're in in life, when we're working, we're on a vacation, when we're involved in spirituality, to have God with us and to have faith with us, and that's where the blessings are. The blessings come when a person lives in that way, where it's not uh, compa- you know put into different compartments. Here I am, here I'm not, but that is through and through everywhere uh, in your life.
1: And our Christian listeners will know a cliche. It's probably new to my rabbi friend, but. There's the term in American Christianity where you say, don't be a Sunday Christian. In other words, what you just said, you don't focus on the Lord and his work and holiness on Sundays, but you try to be a follower of God every day of the week. Don't be a Sunday Christian.
2: So there are Sunday Christians and there are Shabbat Jews. <laughs> we have the terminology uh, as well. Uh, it's not supposed to be that way it's supposed to be something which is always with us at all times and it's certainly a a value which we
1: share continuing in chapter 28 the lord verse seven will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you they shall come out against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways the lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns All that you put your hand to, he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he himself swore to you. If you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, so all the peoples of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. This is military in its context for a people trying to conquer a new land, but what does it mean for the people of God, the faithful Jew, the faithful Christian today?
2: We can translate these blessings into all areas uh, of our lives. First of all, for the people of Israel today, it still is very applicable, and we certainly want to see those blessings come true, but it's the idea of people respecting the spirituality, people recognizing that it's important. All of us who are people of faith know what it's like to live in a society where that's denigrated, where that's not respected, and we're fighting uh, to bring that respect back. Uh, God is saying, if you follow everything... Uh, people will begin to respect it. People don't respect it when they don't see the beauty in it, when they don't see the reason for it, when they don't see the honesty in it, they don't see the way of life in it. But if people see people of God as the ideal, that will generate that awe and reverence, which is ultimately the goal, whether it's militarily in war or it's just in the day-to-day life and the respect that we hope that spirituality and ultimately God has in our societies.
1: And it's almost like two sides of the same coin or antonyms here. In the early part of chapter 28, you are blessed if you do this. You're blessed in this way. You're blessed in this way. But verse 15, it turns the coin over. It shall come about, if you will not obey the Lord your God, to observe it, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you, cursed in the city and cursed in the country and cursed in your basket and cursed in your kneading bowl. So everything is equal and opposite in this passage.
2: It's absolutely true. We do the flip side of it, and this actually uh, begins a section uh, which we call the Tochacha which is the rebuke, there are 98 curses here in this section in the synagogue, whereas usually the reader will read the Torah very loud and proudly and slowly. Here he lowers his tone a little bit and does it more quickly. It's almost as as if we don't want to hear it or we can't hear it. But we do have to hear it, and we also know, as you read through this, we have experienced this. Uh, you don't have to go back more than uh, 70 to 80 years and see this is what we have lived through, through the Holocaust, verses here have come true word by word uh, as a result of, of the disobedience and our going into exile and leaving our homeland and, and not fully coming back uh, to God. So on the one hand, it's it's difficult to understand Why do these tragedies have to happen? And uh, we don't really have answers to the ways of God. But I'll tell you this. It's not, you know, when bad things happen, it's not a contradiction to faith and the Bible. It's actually just reinforcing exactly what God says it's going to be over here. The Bible is not filled with just beautiful stories and fantasies uh, and dreams come true. There's real nightmares as well. And it's a part of being a people of faith to try to wrap our hands around that, recognize that it happens for whatever reason, and use it as motivation to do God's will.
1: And that was going to be my next question. You just used the word motivation. What is the failure of us as sinful humans, even sinful humans who want to be godly, why does the Word of God not motivate us enough to be obedient? It's
2: so hard uh, to put a finger on on, on why it's not enough. Uh, we all have our nature, which, which pulls us away Uh, From that, which is spiritual, Uh, we do have a tradition, you know, better to go to a a house of mourning than a house of party, than a house of a wedding, Uh, going to a funeral over uh, the most joyous occasion, because uh, it leads you to think about life and how fragile it is and how uh, we have to take advantage of every moment that we have. Uh, But it's sad that we don't think about it enough and don't see the Word of God as enough of a motivation. Hopefully all of us uh, who are studying this here uh, can take it that way and use it the right way.
1: And Deuteronomy chapter 28, this whole section of the 98 curses, it's one of the saddest, most disturbing passages that you can read because it talks about all these different categories of life. You've got the rain's going to stop and your land's going to turn like uh, dust and it'll be like iron you can't even dig into it then you've got verse 27 the boils of egypt and tumors then madness and bewilderment of heart you've got curses against your family your wife your ox (laughs) so it goes from wife to To ox, to sons and daughters, Rabbi. I'm not sure about the order of things there. And then you go back and forth. But this is a sad, this is a disturbing, troubling passage that we would be wise to wake up and pay attention to.
2: Very much so. And like I said, very sadly, so much of this has actually happened. Uh, This is not just conjecture. This is not just sort of being out there. It really has happened, and it's certainly something which should motivate us to be obedient to God uh, to make sure that never happens again.
1: Let's continue in verse 58 of Deuteronomy 28. If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law, which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name... The Lord, your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic diseases. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you are afraid and they shall cling to you. Every sickness and every plague, which not written in the book of the law, the Lord will bring unto you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude because you did not obey the Lord your God. You mentioned the Holocaust, the Shoah, as it's called in Hebrew. And numerically, we know, depending on which source you look at, there may be 2 billion Christians in the world, 1.7 billion Muslims in the world, and something like 12 or 15 million Jews in the world. So verse 62, you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude. This is a mathematical reality of what we're reading about.
2: Yes. I mean, if you study the history, you can just imagine, you know, where we would be as a people if we didn't experience everything we experienced, not just the six million in the Holocaust. But this is literally what God has said would happen. Uh, he has said that we will be decimated and goes through and gives. I mean, there's one verse in particular and 28 verse 34. You will go crazy from the things that you've seen. I know Holocaust survivors who saw the worst possible horrors and they did become crazy uh, as a result of it. It, it, it did happen uh, exactly as it says it and you know, your children will be taken captive in verse 41. You'll have the kids, but they'll be taken off somewhere. You know, young people who are taken off to labor camps, and who else knows where else they were taken to, uh, you know, literally. And, and it, you, you almost want it to stop, you know, as you're reading it. It just goes over and deeper and deeper and even more. And as you said, the numbers will go away, and it's all because you didn't listen to uh, the Word of God. Uh, We have experienced all of this, and it's a catastrophe, it's a tragedy of, of, I mean, I'm using words that don't even capture it, Uh, but yet it does reinforce the fact that the words of the Bible are true, and that God's word does come exactly, exactly as he says it.
1: So here's a troubling question. This promise of curse, if you disobey, was made, it came to pass, as tragically as we can see. Here's the question. Could this happen to the people of God again in the future? So we have a
2: tradition that once we return to the land of Israel, you know, which is also predicted, obviously, uh, in the Bible over and over again, that there won't be uh, this kind of a rebuke and curse again. But. It's something which God does say that it's contingent one or the other, that our behavior leads to these consequences. So we don't want to be a people that live in fear. We don't want to be constantly uh, thinking to ourselves, will some kind of a terrible tragedy happen? But on the other hand, it would be wise for us to be conscious of the fact that there is this kind of a cause and effect.
1: Let's move into the last chapter of this week's Torah portion, and it's Deuteronomy 29. And it's again in third person. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel, verse 2, and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and his servants and all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandal has not worn out on you. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink. In order that you may know that I am the Lord your God, when you reached this place, Sihon the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan came out to meet us for battle but we defeated them and we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh so keep the words of the covenant to do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Rabbi the passage ends here after the tragedy and the horror of 28 why is 29 starting this way?
2: The moment we see tragedy, Moses is never going to leave uh, the people that way. He's going to come right away. We have this in the review, rebukes at the end of Leviticus, and it happens here as well. Uh, immediately, re- reminding the people of all the good that can be and all they have to Do is follow the word of God, and wonders will happen and miracles will happen. And he even goes through some of those miracles to remind them. It's always ending the negativity with the positive, always ending the despair with the hope. And uh, that's a constant refrain in the Bible. That's a constant refrain in Jewish history that we can hit rock bottom and then there's always something positive uh, which comes. And that's very much uh, what Moses clearly feels the need to do over here after he's gone through all this horrible news.
1: Okay, Rabbi, we are talking about some conditional statements. If you obey, the blessing will come. If you disobey, cursing will come. Wrap it up for us today by applying this to modern believers.
2: We just have to remind ourselves that even though, you know, in the world that we live in, we don't necessarily see that cause and effect. We don't see the righteous flourishing and the wicked suffering. Uh, But we have to understand that there's a God who runs the world. A lot of this also could be talking about beyond this world. Uh, But certainly look back at Jewish history and see that it has absolutely uh, played out this way and that for each one of us at least on an individual level should be a motivation uh to heed the word of god to be faithful to be spiritual and to share that with others as well
1: we always have the privilege here on the lone star podcast to study the word of god together the pastor and the rabbi seeking spiritual truth from the bible rabbi thank you for your time today always a great pleasure and shabbat shalom thank you so much
2: shabbat shalom to you
0: and to all the listeners. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.